Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. If, uh, if I may just to meet you, my name is Herrick, and I'm one of the pastors here. Track review. Um, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, it, it's my birthday today, and yeah. I can't think of a better way to spend it, really, than just doing what I'm going to do this morning, which is uh, kind of unique. It's going to be a little bit different than probably any other message that I've preached. And really what I'm going to be doing today is really just sharing, here's how I've experienced God's love over the last year, age 37 season or whatever it was, um, or year. I'm not a baseball player. Um, <laughs> in my mind. So I'm going to share with you guys how I've experienced the love of God over this last year. And my prayer has been from the get of like prepping this message would just be that you would experience his love too in some form or fashion, that you would walk away with something that would encourage you, that would help you to see his love for you specifically. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'm going to dive in, if you'll join me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be with my brothers, my sisters, visitors, everybody that's here this morning. Thank you. It is a privilege uh, to live life in your kingdom, to be a son uh, in in your family. It's not something that I've earned. It's certainly not something that um, I've merited based on my life, based on my obedience, but really I thank you that it's because of Jesus and his grace and his mercy to me that I'm here and that I have a story to tell. And I love you and I pray that above all that today I'd just get a chance on my birthday just to proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus, who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I thank you for that love you. And so grateful for your son, Jesus. For all these things in his name. Amen. Okay, so this morning I'm just going to talk about how I've experienced God's love over the past year. But before I do that, I want to give you guys a little bit of brief backstory on my own life. So if, um, if you don't know, I went to school in San Diego. So I ended up living in San Diego for 15 years. That's where I met my now wife, Heather. And that's where I got connected with Restored Uptown that sent us here to help plant Restored Temecula alongside the Logs. And when I went to school in San Diego, I went to USD, which is just a small, uh, most people don't even know what school that is. It's a, if you've never seen it, it's a very, very small little Catholic school up on a hill. You can see it off the five freeway. And it's really pretty, but it's pretty forgettable if you don't know what it is. But I went there. Um, I, the Actually, no, I can't get into that. It's not, it's not important. Um, I went there because the sidewalk sparkled, literally. That's why I went to that school on my tour. The the sun shone off them, and they were gleaming, and it was cool. So I went to school there, and I got a degree. I got the most general degree that you could get, a business degree. Any business majors in the house? You got one? Yep. It worked out for you. Um, (laughs) For me, not so much. Uh, my dad was in business, so I was like, all right, I guess uh, you could kind of do anything with a business degree, which is true, but that also means you could do anything, which means I'm not really uh, on any specific track. 
And I got out of college in 2007. Anybody graduate in 07? Yeah, it's terrible, right? It was, it was like the, the economy was starting to do this. It's just about to go off the edge. Um, it was only worse if you graduated in 08 or 09. Really, that was the, the pits. Sorry if there's anybody in here. That, that's you. But um, yeah, so I, I spent three months looking for a job after I got out of college. I had all this debt and uh, no job, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I took kind of the first viable job that I could get. I went to a uh, law firm in, in downtown San Diego that did uh, lawsuits that had to do with um, companies, corporations that were doing weird and um, kind of, uh, I wanted to say shifty, shady, thank you, shady things. And so that was the job I took. And I'm not an attorney and I was never trained as one, but I worked with the kind of the research team. Uh, the way that this, the firm was set up, they filed so many lawsuits that the attorneys didn't have time to do their own research. So they hired a bunch of us, kind of entry-level employees to do the research kind of for them. So it uh, was wonderful people that I got to work with in a pretty miserable culture. If anybody's worked at a law firm before, it, it probably varies, you know, firm to firm. But, um, but it was just not a great fit. It was like a highly competitive, super driven, ultra aggressive culture. The kind of culture that even our softball games were cutthroat. Like if that makes, gives you any sense of what that was like, our softball games were tense. And uh, it just kind of sucked the joy out of it. I'm just not wired for that. Some people are, and that's great. We need good attorneys, so I'm not bashing that. But that was just not my jam at all. Uh, what I ended up doing there was I oversaw an area. So I, I worked with this research department, and the research department, part of what we did is that we kept the attorneys just up to speed on what was happening with their cases. And the cases were with public companies, so we were just constantly like scouring the news. I read the news. Part of my job was just reading the news. Like reading, reading the Wall Street Journal, reading business publications, trying to understand what was happening in the market, and kind of distributing that information to the attorneys that, that was custom fit for them. With that said, um, I got kind of pigeonholed into that, and I ended up, uh, I remember once I tried out for, a, I got a, an opportunity to apply to become a supervisor of the department, didn't get that, then like an, a manager's opening opened up. Didn't get that. Why didn't I get that? Well, you don't have any supervisor's experience. I'm like, well, I tried, but um, that didn't work out. And so anyway, I say all this to say, just to give you a picture, that it was a dead-end situation. I was stuck there, basically, as I felt for eight years. And as I was thinking about that, there was this grappling within my own soul for certainty, grappling for clarity and understanding. Basically, the big questions I was asking, like, what am I wired for? What am I good at? What do I enjoy? That's really what was going on. It wasn't even about the job or the culture. It was just that uncertainty, that angst of the soul of not knowing. What am I here for? And I remember, uh, I remember I found this book. I don't actually remember how I found it, but I found it. And the book was really interesting. The book had kind of this sense of like, you can actually think about your life in a story form and think about the experiences that you've had that have been really satisfying. So the book had kind of these exercises, and you kind of go through them. It was basically like, what has been satisfying to you in life? It was like, okay, write down how you got involved in this, what you actually did, how you did it, like what would an observer see, and then who else was involved, and then what was satisfying about it. It's actually a pretty, pretty cool process. I did that. I remember I did this in February of 2015. And the first thing I wrote down was I got to preach four sermons in one year. So this is before, obviously, I was on staff. Before I was a pastor at Restored Uptown, I got an opportunity to preach 
uh, four times in a year. And I wrote down what was satisfying. Pe- seeing people get it, like people understand Jesus, really experience the gospel. Uh, people feel like the love of God for them as I'm teaching, as I'm preaching. I wrote down seeing people laugh at my jokes. I literally wrote that down. <laughs> And so I've just kind of laughed at now. But at that point, it really felt like I kind of had um, two lives. I had like this work life that was pretty unsatisfying and unfulfilling, that was really confusing, that was unsettled. And then I had this like budding life within the church where I felt like I was just giving more and more of my time over to Restored Uptown. I wanted to. Um, at that point, I think I was working four days a week at the firm and I was working one day a week at the, for the church just because I wanted to spend more time with the staff. I got to know Tom during that time. It was beautiful. The last edit on that document was February of 2015, which is funny because it just didn't, it didn't lead to anything. I was just kind of still stuck. And then in June of 2015, I got a call that would change my life. Um, Heather and I were brought into a meeting with uh, Andy, who's the lead pastor at Restored Uptown, and Brad Sarian, who's the lead pastor now at Restored LA. And they were telling us, hey, Brad's going to go plant Restored LA. We want you to come on staff. And that was just this incredible moment of like, finally, I have some clarity. Like the Lord opened the door for me to pastor, which is what I, which was what I wanted to do. And with Restored Uptown, I had a very different experience than with the law firm. I actually got lots of opportunities to try all kinds of things. Uh, I got to lead groups. I got to lead a, a kids ministry. Um, I got to learn how to kind of host Sunday gatherings. I got to learn to preach. I got to walk with people through hard things. And it was, uh, it was awesome. It was a very different context. I'm learning. I'm getting opportunities every day to do all kinds of stuff. So this is 2015. Five years later, 2020, so last year, um, I'm now here with Restored Temecula. We were sent. Uh, it was, you know, just been an amazing experience to be here with you guys over these last few years. Now, what's interesting is while I've had this uh, experience of getting tons of opportunities to try all different kinds of things, I was still wondering, like, what am I wired for? Like, what am I, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? And I was getting more clarity on that, but it was far from a full picture. Actually, you know, I, I discovered I love to journey with people as they, as they discover, like, the truths of the gospel for themselves. Um, I can sit with people and listen for a, an unusually long time. And I'm, you know, actually listening and taking it in. Um, I love people, helping people connect the dots between their story and God's story of grace and mercy and redemption. Now, I've had training for this. I have. But there's this growing desire to really specialize in this. So I don't know um, if you... You probably know this. I think everybody knows this. But sometimes you have doctors. This, I, I looked this up to make sure this is true. This is true. You have doctors that are primary care physicians. And then you have doctors that specialize. And they may have an extra you know, type of expertise in one field or another. And in fact, I, I discovered that there's like hundreds of different specialties and specializations and subspecialties that you can have as a doctor. As a church planter, which I was like, I think I can call myself that. I told Planet Church. Um, so here I am, a church planner. Uh, church planters are generalists. Is that fair to say, Tom? It's, it's probably fair to say, like, we just kind of have to be able to do everything. And sometimes it's not like we get to get really good at one thing. It's like we kind of have to do everything because that's just, it's just the way that it is. And I'm learning a lot of different things as I go. Uh, I'm learning what it looks like to be a primary care physician. 
But there's this, this desire to specialize still. I have both. To hone in like something I'm wired for. That's a thing of beauty. So fast forward to 2020. Uh, there was a training in uptown San Diego. Some of you guys were there for it. Uh, we invited the GC leaders to go. And down in San Diego, there's a gal, Ashley Stroman. She's a PhD. She's brilliant. She's a friend. And she put on this training for basically for anybody that, you know, from the family of churches that wanted to come. And she laid out this remarkable framework for understanding people, how people change, how people grow, how people are affected by their experiences, how people are wired. Really the answer to the question like, how do how do we as people, what do we do to feel okay about ourselves? And there was a deep dive into like past experiences, into core hurts, like ways that we've been wounded as people and how that's affected how we view ourselves as people. Like, therefore, I am X, Y, or Z because of what I've experienced. And she, I actually don't have the, the picture, but it's amazing. You can see it. It's like all mapped out. And you can kind of map out a human being. It's really cool. You can see like the reactive emotions. Here's how I distract myself from my pain. Here's the reactions, fight, flight, or freeze that I'm prone to. Here's the strategies that I I adopted in life. And here's a present situation that actually triggers this whole thing. And I thought to myself, this is it. Any Back to the Future fans in the house? It was like the flux capacitor. That's what makes the whole thing possible. This is going to drive deep discipleship and change. This is what I've been waiting for. Uh, My whole kind of life as a Christian. And it was a lot to take in. She shared a lot of information with us. And it was like, what do I do with this? I think this is going to be like what I give myself to. I think this is what I'm going to specialize in. And then this was January 2020. COVID happened in March. The world shut down. Uh, What I learned kind of got lost honestly, in the midst of everything else. The the world changed so, so quickly. In in the summer of 2020, um, Andy Rogers, the lead pastor down there in Uptown, who I've known him for years, uh, he reached out. And I've talked to him kind of, you know, in passing about some specialization stuff, the things that I feel like I'm like uniquely wired for, at least I think I am, or I want to grow in to find out. And he started talking to me about Redeemer Counseling Services and this program that they were putting on. And if you don't know Redeemer, Redeemer is this, this church. Actually, it's, I guess they'd probably call it a family of churches up in New York City. And it's led by Tim Keller. Any Tim Keller fans in the house? There's a few. Um, he's a, just a wonderful writer, speaker, author. And he, his churches have their own counseling center in New York City. And it's amazing because it's... Um, they're Presbyterian, so it's never going to go off the rails, which is fantastic. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I want to learn. They're going to like incorporate the best of neuroscience, and they're going to they're going to be thoughtful, and they're going to be like gospel centered. And I'm like, yes, I want I want that, Andy. And what Ashley, you know, shared with us was their framework for how they help people to grow and experience Jesus. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I need to apply to this. This is incredible. Um, there was also a huge question that was like, is this realistic? I actually didn't know because it was going to be in New York City for a year and to, for a school year. So essentially like nine months. So for me to travel to New York City like eight or nine times over the course of a year with a young family, with how much that costs, was probably not totally realistic. 
But I applied in faith and I talked to Tom and he was supportive. So I applied in faith, not knowing if it would work out. And they only took 12 people from throughout the entire country. So I didn't think, I don't know, there's no guarantees. So I applied, I prayed, I waited, I got the email one day, you got in. You got into the, the program. And even better, because of COVID, it's going to be on Zoom. Okay. Is this real life? Pinch me. You know, kind of, that was my response. I like, couldn't believe that this was happening. It really felt like um, I had discovered how to make time travel possible. Like that's how, that's how it felt for me. So I, I jumped onto their website. Even before the class started, I just poured over everything. I poured over their website. And basically what I found was that they had all this practical, field-tested, uh, Tim Keller-approved instruction on how to help people grow as disciples and understand themselves. And just so you know, and I guess I should have mentioned this before, this is what I love to do. This is what I'm discovering. I love to sit with people and help um, them experience this. And the big thing that they honed in on, which I think is probably one of the most challenging parts of being a disciple, of, of wanting to grow up to become like Jesus, is the head-heart gap. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That gap between what we know in our heads, the content that's like bouncing around up here, the sermon notes, the Bible studies, and so on and so forth, and then what we actually believe and how we experience the love of God or don't experience the love of God or find ourselves wanting to experience more of the love of God. That's what they wanted to focus on. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I... I found this exercise. I hadn't even, this was before, they were going to teach us all this, but I didn't even wait until we got around to it in class. I just, I just pulled it. I just grabbed it. And I started doing the stuff. And here's what it says. Here's what the doc says. It's a document that talks about how we can use our imagination to internalize the gospel, to get the gospel deep down into our hearts, into our lives. And it says this, on the dock, it says, merely talking about our wounds and how we view ourselves will only get us so far, since emotional memories are housed in the right brain and verbal processing is predominantly a left brain activity. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. All I want to do is just talk through this stuff, but actually something more is needed. The head-heart gap right there. It's, you could call it head-heart, you could call it right brain, whatever you want to call it. There's a gap. And they said, we want our clients to activate the emotional experience, to activate actual emotional experiences in order to heal and transform them by making use of our God-given imagination, a function of the right brain to internalize the, go the gospel. And all of a sudden, the flex capacitor is flexing. I'm like, this is it. This is amazing. And I had no idea how important this would actually be to me this year. So I'm getting now to 2021. So I'm going to counseling school and in the background, what's happening, 2020 and 2021, which is crazy, the timing of it all. It goes without saying that every single person in this room, every single person in our world went through insane and has been going through and is still going through crazy amounts of suffering, pain, loss, of all kinds. There's upheaval that we've gone through. There's stress. There's rapid change that we've had to deal with and there's losses of, of every sort. 
one day, as I'm learning about all this stuff, as I'm learning about what it looks like to actually work through this, as I'm learning about how to experience healing from some very trustworthy Presbyterians, which is great, again, all the best parts of that movement. It's very thoughtful. The best way I can describe it, I felt one day like I stepped on a landmine of pain. Not mine, but somebody else's. And when it blew, I felt like I got hit with shrapnel. At first, I think I, I, I felt shock, like what just happened. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen like Band of Brothers or war movies, things like that, where there's like an explosion. And you, like, I don't know, people fall over and then it's sort of like it's, they can't hear anything. And then like the sound kind of comes back and they're like, what happened? I felt like that. I felt like I stepped on, on somebody's pain and just pff, explosion. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, it, it hurts. Like something's wrong with my leg, you know? And so there was pain. And then afterwards it was just anger. I just got angry. I was like, I thought this was a safe field to walk through. And then finally, like, tears started to come. Like, I was surprised by the number of just tears that came after I stepped on this landmine of pain that somebody else had that I didn't realize. And if you don't know me, you may not know this, but um, I'm, I'm sort of like a, a bit like a Jerry Seinfeld. Um, any Seinfeld fans in the, in the room? There's a few. Uh, so Jerry Seinfeld, if you don't know, just to give you an example, there was an episode where Jerry, like, broke up or he got broken up with. And if you don't know the show, Jerry broke up with a woman every episode. It was like, if there are 800 episodes, he broke up with 800 women. It was just the most common thing. But this one time, this, um, this woman, I think it was Aunt Becky from Full House, on the side, she broke, breaks up with him over something really stupid, Seinfeld. Just something really dumb, something really stupid. And, and Jerry's actually really upset. And uh, somebody says something that reminds him of, of Aunt Becky, whatever her name was in the show. And he starts to cry. And he, and he looks at his tears and he's like, what is this salty discharge? <laughs> I feel like that's me. I feel like that was, that was kind of my response. Like, what is this salty discharge? Coming from my eyes. Um, and it was a blend. And by the way, this is stuff I want to grow in. Just being honest, like, it's just, this is where I'm at. It was this blend of frustration and anger. I felt humiliated. I felt like this desire of ju- for justice. And these emotions, they were really swirling just day after day for a while. But here's the thing, as I've been reflecting on what happened, I didn't know then what I know now, which is that this was an opportunity to experience the care of the great physician, Jesus. And the truth is, I, just, I didn't even have a clue of how deep this went. So here's what I did. I unpacked with a very safe, small group of people because I realized I need help. This is bigger than me. I'm like lost in my, in my internally discombobulated world, if that's a word. I was just lost in it. And if I responded out of anger, it could have done a lot more damage. I would have then added sin to the equation, my sin. So I got the help of very safe people who were primarily concerned about one thing, making peace about seeing the peace of Jesus work its way out in relationships. So I had people who listened to my pain, and they let me unpack it, and they helped diffuse me. 
as they listened to it in, in my pain, they prayed for me, they prayed for the situation, and they gave me some much-needed guidance, which is amazing. I think my friends in that moment protected me from making a bad situation worse by giving in to my worst impulses. They were a means of grace in my life. And with all that said, there was something more that was actually required. I realized this. I actually needed the grace of Jesus to go down deep where it hurt the most. Because when I stepped on that landmine of someone else's pain, I realized one of my landmines of pain went off too. It set off one of my own. And what came out of that season was this realization that I had a view of myself deep down that I am incapable of handling life and its challenges. That's what I discovered, like deep, deep down. And I can try to make myself feel better by working, by achieving, by succeeding. But this moment, though, that I experienced, it blew that up. It just blew it up. It was sort of a reminder, like, hey, no matter how much you try, you're never going to be enough. And right there is where I needed to meet Jesus. So one morning, Heather took the kids. Uh, She had plans. She took the kids. And I was at home. And if you have children, to have a house that's completely quiet, it's quite a thing. The possibilities are just endless. It's like, what do I, what do I do? So this particular morning, I decided to, I, I have this, this stuff I'm dealing with. It's still there. It's not quite well yet. So I just invited Jesus into my pain. And the salty discharges came back. And the tears started to flow. And I just want to describe to you guys what happened. What happened next. So for me, that moment, I started asking uh, a lot of questions. Questions about like, hey, why does this hurt so much? Why do I feel like internally like I'm coming apart? And so I grabbed my exercise. Using the imagination to internalize the gospel. It's like, well, I've got this for something. I might as well use this for me. And as I, as I prayed, as I spent time thinking about it, it became pretty clear like, Dude, there's like some deep, there's a deep sense of incompetence and inability underneath deep down. And this exercise has these questions like, hey, are there any images or thoughts that come up that represent that incompetence? And it says, this is kind of wild that it says this, it says often clients will see a younger version of themselves. Because again, these are tools that counselors use on their clients. So I'm like using their tools on myself. And it says, often clients will see a younger version of themselves carrying burdens like this, like a seven-year-old with slouched shoulders looking down. And as I'm sitting there and reading this stuff, it was like I was transported in my mind back to second grade. And I could see myself going from one classroom to another. So the school that I went to was a K-12 school. This was back in Puerto Rico before I moved out here to the States. And we went from like Spanish class to social studies or whatever it was, and we had to go out of the room and then walk down the hall to the next room. And I remember I was wearing this little polo shirt that it was like a yellow and blue polo. And I remember these little details, which is weird because I was seven. But I remember I was wearing this, this polo shirt and this, my little shorts, and then I had, I don't know if you guys ever had those roller backpacks that you kind of take behind you. That was the, the style back in 92. Um, they'll be back, I'm sure, for 
someone, for some of the kids. But I went back into that space, and I remember walking from one class to another. So there was a, a whole day, a whole story that was starting to fill in that I had forgotten about completely. And I'm walking down the hallway, and I think two, there's a little boy in front of me and then another one. And the little boy, like two kids ahead, drops a folder. I don't know, maybe they were holding it and they dropped it. And the line kind of kept moving. And I saw it and I was like, oh, so-and-so dropped their folder. And then I heard, I don't know if it was a whistle or what, but it was like, stop! And the teacher, she like divided the line up. She went from the child in front of me to a few kids behind me and she like pointed us out. And she in front of the rest of the class, proceeded to scold us because the implication was either you don't care or you're careless. You just walk by this folder, what's wrong with you, kind of thing. And I remember thinking deep down, like, you don't get it. We didn't even have time to react. This is happening so quickly. So I felt shame to be called out like that in front of other people, in front of my peers. As a side note, this is a second grade teacher. She's not looking to harm or injure kids. She's just doing the best she can with the resource she has. In that case, for me, she missed the mark. But I don't think she was trying to do anything um, harmful or hurtful. I don't even think it was about her. There's just something deep within that that touched. It was like a landmine of pain. And so this memory floods back. And I'm going through this exercise, and I'm ugly crying at this point. And the exercise asks, like, hey, would you be okay to invite Jesus into this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let him in. So now I'm reliving this memory, but it's changing because now Jesus is in it. And if you guys ever watched Charlie Brown, uh, the, the adults in Charlie Brown, I think almost all of them, if not all of them, it was like, wop, 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 wop. Anybody? Okay. You actually can't hear what they're saying or even see their faces. So this is me. I'm ugly crying. I'm inviting Jesus into this. And it was like all the adults... In the background, my teacher just womp, womp, womp. It was just quiet. It was, none of it, the voice was just drowned out. And then I was face to face with Jesus. And he looked at me and he had this, this gentleness, but also this intentionality. And he says like, it's almost like drown out the rest. You are loved and you are learning. Keep going. And it was just one moment. And it was a relatively small one. But it communicated to me that Jesus didn't want shame to stick. I think that's what he was saying. And so I asked him, like, Jesus, was there a time when you went, something, you went through something like this where you felt, uh, like, publicly ridiculed? And it was, like, instantly, John 18, 19 to 23. I, I don't, this is in the back, so I'm just going to read it. came to mind, which says this. Meanwhile, this is during Jesus' trial. It says, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And he said, Jesus said, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogue or at temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Verse 22, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Verse 23, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? And then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas. And what Jesus, I think, was saying to me was like, hey, I know what it's like to feel publicly embarrassed and then left wondering why. Jesus empathized with me. Like I experienced his empathy. 
like the Lord of Lords, the, the King of Kings. After that, it was like, okay, I can handle this. I don't need to win this argument. Sometimes it's necessary to defend myself. It's not even necessary to defend myself in this case. I felt this sense of like freedom from that crippling sense of incompetence. It was powerful. Not that it's like completely gone or anything, but for the first time in my life, I'm like, I've experienced Jesus in that. It's like the cross of Jesus. How does it apply to this? I couldn't answer that question before. And now I have something. Because at the end of the day, here's what he was saying, I think. He was saying, I see you as a disciple, as a learner. And for me, that that was like, that's enough. I don't need to be blown up by criticism or react with guns blazing. I can react in a totally different way, in a new way. So what's my point in saying all this? Here's what I learned over the last year, the first thing. Jesus knows what to do with my pain. And my job is just to bring it to him and to create space for him to work. That was a huge thing that I learned over this last year and is life-changing. To the point where I started experiencing things like this all the time, sometimes weekly, regularly, sometimes even weekly, where there was like this pain point. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really reacting to something. My reaction is actually bigger than it needs to be. Why is that? And then like this sense of, oh, here's a past wound you haven't dealt with, and then an encounter of Jesus' love. And then I feel like the real fun began. Why? Because it started to change the way I deal with my interactions with people. It actually started to change how I listen. It started to change how I enter into a conversation. I knew that Jesus could heal anyone of anything. So I started looking for ways to partner with him in the midst of it. So when when I came across people who were hurting, who were struggling, who were down, I actually would head into those conversations asking, like, Jesus, what are you doing and how can I partner with you in it? That, by the way, that's the, that's how I operate. That's how I, because I've experienced Jesus in this way, it's like, okay, what are you going to do in, what are you doing here and how can I partner with you in it? It's like the one thing that I now seek to do in every situation and circumstance that I'm in. This is what I'm praying. This is what I'm asking. This is what I'm seeking. Obviously, I don't always get it right and I don't always understand what Jesus is doing. Sometimes it just goes beyond me. Sometimes it's not mine to know necessarily, but I'm always asking these things. Jesus, what are you doing and how can I partner with you in it? And something amazing started to happen. As I experienced this kind of of healing, I've actually begun to partner with Jesus as he's brought healing and restoration to pain and to wounds of all kinds over this last year. I have seen people forgive others of terrible wrongs. I've seen people hand their shame to Jesus, like the shame of of being abused, terrible things, and receive his grace. I've seen people repent for things that they've held against God, just the deepest stuff that we deal with and grapple with. I've seen it happen. And I've seen the way that pain and wounds are an opportunity to invite our great physician, Jesus, to heal us. And as I've gone along, I've actually discovered how I'm wired and what I'm good at and what I enjoy. And it's happened through experiencing his grace in my own pain and wounds. And from that place of healing, I've learned that I'm actually an instrument of healing in the Redeemer's hands. 
that's what I ultimately am. And so I'm going to call the, the band back up. I got a text this morning. So I wasn't here for the prayer meeting, but um, Heidi kind of filled me in on what happens. If you guys don't know, in the mornings before the gatherings, there's people who come early to pray for like what God's doing, what, he's gonna, what he wants to do. And during the week, Heidi had no idea about this, but during the week, I really felt like one of the things that I was supposed to talk about was this idea of gifting and this idea of like God being like a, like a farmer cultivating us. And for whatever reason, I just could not, I couldn't land the plane. I couldn't figure out how to put it on paper. Just something was just not, it was, I was really stuck with this point. So then I get in here and I ask Heidi, how did that prayer meeting go? And so, is this okay, by the way, that I share this? I should have asked this before. <laughs> okay, this is great. I'm going to just put you on the spot right then. Um, okay, so, so Heidi, she has this picture. She feels like Jesus starts speaking of a gardener, which is him, Jesus, tending to his garden. And he was planting new seeds of life and truth, pruning dead parts off plants so they could flourish, pulling choking weeds that were stealing life and tenderly caring and nurturing for his plants. And I realized, I think this is the thing that ties it all together. I actually think Jesus is doing this work of healing in, in me. I think he wants to do this in many of us so that he can actually bring life through us. I think this is the biggest thing I've learned over the last year. And I, I'm 37. Hopefully there's decades more to go. And I'll have something more to tell you at 77, 87. Hopefully I make it that long. But this is where I'm at today. And I'm telling you, like, Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows what to do with our pain. And our job is just to learn, how do I bring it to you? And how do I make space? And I'm confident that what he wants to do in us as disciples is what he wants to do through us. So if you're here and you're dealing with pain, and you're dealing with suffering, which is all of us to some degree or another, I just want you to know this might be the greatest opportunity that you've ever had in your life to close that gap between head and heart. You can actually experience the grace of Jesus for yourself, and you have no idea what he wants to do through you as you get well, as you get healthy, as you get whole. I wouldn't change what happened over the last year for anything. 2020, we just agree it kind of sucked and 2021 hasn't been all that much better. It just kind of has in terms of like what's happening in the world and I don't even want to speak too much about it because of the, whatever. We all lived it. We all know. Not great, eh? But what I see Jesus doing through 2020 and 2021, at least in my life, I don't know that it could have happened without all the, sor- all the losses and all the sorrows. So it's weird. I feel like there's a lot of heavy stuff that I just shared and it's not necessarily like happy birth, you know, like a rousing, like celebratory thing. But I do feel a sense of joy and peace that runs deeper than it did at 36. And a lot of it comes on the heels of this, experiencing his grace in my pain and then being sent out as someone who brings healing to people. Not my own, but his. 
And that's what I've got for today. That's what I've learned about God's love over the last year. All right. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. We have about 20-ish minutes left. Okay? Listen to me. Like, please hear me for just a moment. I'm convinced that the Spirit of God wants to meet with a handful of people in this room in a very profound way. And so that's what we're going to pursue in this moment. Okay? So I'm going to ask you just not to be overly spiritual, but just to kind of center yourself. You're a spiritual being as much as you're a physical being. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Okay? I'm also going to ask your permission. I'm going to ask you to trust me. And when I say trust me, I'm ultimately asking you to trust the Lord and trust the Spirit in me. Okay? Herrick talked about painful experiences in the lives of people in his life that triggered other painful experiences in his life. And he talked about how God met him and others through him in those experiences that brought about renewal. If you're not aware, he used the, the, um, he used the analogy of landmines. If you're not aware of the pain in your life, it's going to be exponentially more difficult for that pain to be healed. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to identify pain points in your life. And I want to invite the Spirit to actually do the guiding here. And some of you are like, you're not going to do this right now. You're, you're totally going to reject it. You don't want to do this. Some of you are like, I just want to go to lunch. I'm tired of hearing these people talk. Let the band finish up so I can get out of here. And that's okay. You can, you can do that. But some of you, like God wants to meet with you because there's pain that you've been glossing over since you were a young kid. When Herrick opened his heart to God, God brought him back to when he was a young boy. Spirit, we invite you now. I'm asking you right now to shine light on pain points in every single person's heart and mind in this room.
I'm going to read out of God's word. And I just want you to listen to this at a soul level, okay? Verses I'm sure you've heard many times before on a coffee mug. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. Do not rely on your own interpretation of your experience. Do not avoid it. Do not suppress it. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. And he will make your path straight. In all of your ways, know him. That implies an invitation into those spaces. That's Herrick's whole talk, guys. Sound up in two verses. Inviting Jesus into those spaces and receiving from him that which your soul needs. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let the spirit of God minister and then I'm going to come up and pastor us and close us. There are men and women with lanyards in the back of the room that are there for prayer. Some of you, you've been avoiding pain and you've been missing out on God healing deeper parts of your heart. It's man, that pain, just so you know, it's manifesting itself in sin. It's manifesting itself in bitterness. It's manifesting itself in anxiety. It's manifesting itself in depression. It's manifesting itself in the ways that we mistreat the people we love the most. It's manifesting itself in arrogance and looking for any opportunity we can, t- we can take to tear down someone, some other person made in God's image so that we can feel better about ourselves. Satan is cunning, friends, and he wants to hurt you and destroy you and distract you and get you all turned around on yourself and viewing like, like, uh, viewing your, like viewing reality like inward as though you're the center of all of it. We weren't created to live that way and he wants to heal you. So here's what we're gonna do. The band's gonna minister to us. It's gonna be an opportunity for us to engage in praising God, allowing the spirit to continue to like bring things to our minds. Some of you genuinely need to sing louder than you've ever sung. Some of you need to listen to the spirit. I'm going to say a phrase and it might be offensive, but listen to me. Some of you need to sing and some of you need to shut up. You need to listen to him and let him speak to the deeper parts of your heart. And then there's men and women in the back that are trustworthy that can help walk you along through that. Hear me, the most mature people in the room are going to be the people that run to the back that aren't content in hiding and wearing masks, but actually inviting God into these deeper pain points so they can experience healing and renewal and they can step into who God has created them to be. So I'm gonna just pray right now and invite the spirit. The band's gonna minister to us. People in the back, you, can, you don't need permission. You can move around the room. You can go receive prayer. You can praise. And then I'm just gonna lead the rest of our time based on what I feel like the spirit wants to do, okay? So spirit of the living God, in this moment, we as people, we posture ourselves, mind, body, and soul, trusting in you with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding, not trying to figure things out ourselves, not taking control. You are the Lord. You are the highest authority. 
And man, you're a king who uses your authority to bless us, the very people who resist you and reject you and lean on our own understanding and think that we know better. But you're pursuing love. It doesn't stop. It keeps going because it's who you are. You're a lover. And so we invite you now. We open our hearts to you. We want to experience your healing love. Like Herrick talked about, not concepts, not content, not information. We want to experience you. Help us to feel your love, Holy Spirit. Uh, I feel like God's highlighting two people really quickly that I feel like he wants to minister to before you leave today. Uh, saw a picture of handcuffs. Um, just this uh, overwhelming sense you feel like you feel trapped, you feel stuck, you feel like you, you, you can move about your life, but you feel like there's limitations. You feel really limited by some, some, some things, some circumstances. If that's you, Sarah, will you just wave? You need to go to Sarah. She's supposed to pray for you tonight or today. So please, 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 no judgment. Um, I've felt seasons like that in my life, gosh, man, so many times. If that's you, please, please, please go, go um, receive prayer from Sarah. Um, the other picture I got is uh, like grabbing an apple off of a tree, taking a bite. And it's just, it's like nasty inside. And I really feel like God's highlighting this, um, this idea of you're running back to like specific sins kind of repeatedly in your life. Uh, somebody here, you're, you're running back to, to specific sins that you think are going to satisfy you, think that are going to give you um, uh, pleasure, and they, they're, they're, you, you're realizing that they're not. And I think God wants to break that cycle for you this morning. I think he wants to like genuinely free you from that desire for something that's ultimately like corroded and disgusting, and it's going to be harmful to you. And so uh, that one's a little tricky because I don't want to put you on blast because I think it's a little more sensitive. If that's you, will you please, I want to I want to pray over you before, uh, uh, when, the, when the gathering closes, I want to I pray for you, okay? Um, come find me. I, I really don't want you to leave without that one because I think, I think God's going to meet you in a really beautiful way, okay? Let's keep rolling. If that's you, please, please, please go. It might be multiple people with the handcuff thing. Go to Sarah and she'll, she'll minister to you, okay? All right, you can take a seat. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. I want to close our time uh, by reading profound words from your creator over you that I just think you need to hear. I think you genuinely like, uh, you know how like a sponge, if it's really dry, it just soaks up moisture. Some of you internally, you're, you're, you're dry and you need to soak this up and take it into the deepest part of who you are. Okay, I've talked quite a bit. I'm gonna shut up. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let the word of the Lord um, minister to your heart, okay? The psalmist says this, communicating to the Lord, for it was you who created my, in, my inmost parts. I want you to insert yourself here, okay? 
you're made in the image just as much as the writer of this psalm. For it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Some translations say fearfully and wonderfully made, if you've heard that before. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? You, you have been remarkably and wondrously made, created. That means your creator had intention when he knit you together. You're not an accident. You're on purpose, man. Your works are wondrous, God. And I know this very well. Do you know that very well or did you forget this morning? My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days or all of my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. The intentionality of the Father on your life, friend. Every day, listen to me, every single day of your life. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Do you know how special you are? that he thinks about you. You're on his mind and you were on his mind before he even knit you together in your mother's womb. If I want, like, listen, if you walk away with anything today, know that you don't have to run from your pain. You can invite him into that space because he's trustworthy. And the reason I believe he's trustworthy is because his word says that he was intentional in when he made you. Like, you need to know how special you are in the eyes of God before you do anything else in your life. Because if you don't, you'll do it with motives to gain favor, to gain acceptance, to gain validation, instead of realizing that you genuinely already have it. And his desire is to meet with you in those spaces and for some of you to introduce you to who you truly are, for others to remind you of who you truly are. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderfully, or was it remarkably and wondrously made. Ponder that today. It's one of the most true things about you. And it's not set by what you do or what you don't do but rather by him. Let me pray for us and I'll let you guys get out of here. We are your workmanship. We are your workmanship. We're not an accident. You made us on purpose for your own pleasure. You take delight in your children, Lord. 
And Spirit, for every single person in this room who's believing the lie that, that they're not doing enough or saying enough or that they're not enough, I pray that you would replace that truth with the reality of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the lover, the savior of their soul, who said, actually, that's not true. You are more than enough for the God of the universe to put on flesh and to willingly, he said, no one takes my life from me, I willingly lay it down, to willingly absorb all of the punishment that you and I deserve, living perfectly the life that we never could in our place so that we would realize our value. It doesn't come from our opinion. It doesn't come from the opinion of others. It doesn't come from our performance. It doesn't come from our resume. It doesn't come from our grade. It doesn't come from any of that. It comes because the king says so. He's the highest authority. And he delights in you. And he desires to heal and renew every fiber of your being. Spirit of God, give us courage to receive that. Give us humility to recognize that we need that and that you're the only one that can provide it. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence. You're incredibly kind. You're incredibly generous. Jesus, you're so worthy. You're so worthy. Let us be men and women who understand who we are and who enjoy you. Thank you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Beautiful morning, guys. Beautiful morning. I love it when God takes us off the page. Um, Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to tear things down. If you need to get your kids, get your kids, and then we're going to head over to Vail headquarters for some lunch, okay? Know that you're loved. Hopefully I'll see you then. Yes. Come. I don't know what you mean. Housekeeping. Yeah. Oh, yes. Can you do me a favor? Can you just grab three things on your way out to help with tearing things down? Fantastic idea. All right. Love you guys. Three things. Kids. Lunch. Beautiful Sunday. Peace.